are the Mystery History Podcast. I'm Allison. I'm Jordan. Welcome to the show. Welcome back, hopefully. How you doing, Fitch people? First time, welcome aboard. Yes. <laughs> Buckle in, buttercup. You're about to go on a wild ride. <laughs> I like the enthusiasm. <laughs> this is episode seven, The Day at Love Pass. Yep. We're about to tell you some stuff. You're about to learn some shit. Today. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Before we get into this craziness, let's talk about some stuff. Like... Hook, C-M-E-C. Mm-hmm. Go check those folks out. Yep, they're awesome. They are. They are on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, we've been partnering with them to share them. They share us. It's a good partnership. We really appreciate those guys over there. Yep. Go check out our BFFs at Dead Academy Podcast. They're rocking it. Yep. Um, it's a true crime, paranormal, all-around fun podcast so go check them they are hilarious if you need some laughs go check them out while learning some gruesome stuff gruesome gruesome we had some member shares on instagram which was pretty cool people um tag us in your photos of us of you listening to us yeah we'll share them on our instagram page and all that stuff it's really cool to see people listening yeah like in your car yeah wherever radio whatever anything wherever you listen in the bathroom i don't care (laughs) share it yeah we appreciate all the love. Mm-hmm. You want to talk about our store? Yeah, we have a store at uh, mysteryhistorypodcast.com, which has uh, T-shirts, hoodies, uh, phone cases, pillows, which is Allie's favorite. Decorative pillows. Yep. Please buy a decorative pillow and send me a picture of it. <laughs> I will know I've hit the big time when somebody has a decorative pillow. Yeah, send us. us a picture of you listening to the Mystery History Podcast on a Mystery History Podcast pillow. Oh. That's oh like, God. yeah. That is, whew, I've reached, that's the peak. <laughs> One day. The peak of my career. But on the website, we also have all our episode, the whole episode, or uh, catalog. We have uh, contact information, and we have a link to our Patreon. Patreon. Yep. Donate. Yep. You can do that as for as little as a dollar a month, just to help support the show. One dollar. So, mm-hmm. That's it. You know what we should do? What? You know, like Sarah McLaughlin. Yeah. In the arms <laughs> of the angels. No, we should take sad pictures and post them. Of us? Yeah. <laughs> That's so fucked <laughs> Do you think that would work? Oh. No, nobody cares. That's so shitty. Why? Because. Because we're, we're trying to bring you quality, people. Yeah, we're doing our best. We're doing our best. So, no, I'm just kidding. That's funny. But really, though, if you want to give us money, we'll take it. <laughs> and we're going to put it back into the show. It's not like we're going to go no. on vacation. Yeah, we're going to get better mics, better software, all that good stuff. Yeah. Hopefully maybe get some, like, speaking classes so we, <laughs> so we say shit appropriately. But, you know, that's that's further on down the line. Yeah. We just hit how many downloads? Thousand. One thousand downloads. Yeah. 1K. There's a comma in that. Yeah. That's like, you know it's real. You know it's real. <laughs> I just am shocked. Yeah, I am too. 1,000 people. Yeah. Maybe not 1,000 people. 1,000 plays. Still, that's like, if my math's correct, that's a lot of hours. That is, I'm not a mathematician, but that's a lot. But that's a, that's a many. That's a, several. That's <laughs> more than a couple. And I like it. Yeah. It's so, pretty cool. I am surprised, but in a, it's awesome to see that. Yeah. So thank you all. For the love and the listens, Mm -hmm. Um, we are committed to doing these weekly 
and providing you the best possible content we can provide, which, mm-hmm. I mean, isn't great. But <laughs> but obviously, you still listen, so that's good. <laughs> They're doing something right. we got to set the bar low. So we're going to knock it out of the park So later. then we can only go higher. We'll blow the lid off this motherfucker. We're going to do it. <laughs> So f- make sure you follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and Mystery History Podcast. Yeah, except for Twitter, Twitter's Mystery Histories because they, they have a limit restriction. Trying to they, screw us yeah. up on our name. So. And then send us an email. Send us yep. an email at mysteryhistorypod at gmail.com. I love to get fan mail. We've got one so far. Yep. There's also a link right on our Instagram page for like an email link. And then yeah. from our website also there's... A straight link yeah. to it. So even if you just want to chat, I'll chat with you. Yeah, or just send us a direct message. Just let us know what yeah, you're thinking. Just, yeah, just talk to us. We love to hear from the people. I'm sick of talking to this fool. So yeah, I'm, I'm ready to talk to other people. Bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what's going on in your life? Nothing. Just living. Just living. working from home for the past how I can't lost track. Three you months. Poor, you poor thing. How do you do it? <laughs> it's rough. Some I wake of us, up, I, gotta, I can literally roll to my computer desk. It's a bunch of bullshit. It's a nice commute, I'll tell you what. Mm-hmm. I'm essential, so I've been going in. Nothing much has changed for me, yeah. really, in regards to all the crazy COVID stuff. But you're going to buy a house. Potentially. Potentially. Looking. I'm going to make him. Well, that seems illegal. So anyone in the Dayton area, you got a house for sale, hit us up. Yep. Send us the post of it. Yep. Send us the posting. Hmm? He's already got a realtor, so he doesn't need that. Yep. Just the house. Just, yeah. Just the walls and the roof and yeah. the, yeah, everything else that goes yeah. in there. So, yeah. Well, we just want to mention, too, with all this craziness going on with the riots and stuff, the looting, we just want everybody to be safe. Uh, we love you all and just be there for one another and... And do the right thing. Yep. So that's all we've got to say about that. Mm-hmm. All right. You ready to get into this? Yep. First off, we need to have a little disclaimer. Oh, yeah. A little asterisk. A big asterisk. We're going to say a bunch of shit wrong. Oh, it's going to be bad. Russian words are tough. Yeah, who did that? Why'd they do Man, that? Man, there's so many letters and they, words. I feel like they, it's like somebody's typing the names and they just coughed. And just hit every key on the fucking keyboard. Or like a cat jumped on it and just like did yeah. some stuff. There's letters that should not be next to each other. Yeah. So we're going to say all this stuff wrong. Don't judge us. We're telling you ahead of time. Mm-hmm. If you are annoyed by things being said wrong. <laughs> don't tell us. Don't tell we know. us. We know. We know. It's annoying. We fucked up. It's all right. It hasn't even happened yet. We fucked up though. We did. It'll be all right. It'll be all right. Okay, so let's talk about this overview. So I'm going to give you a brief overview of what's going on. Then we're going to jump into how the group was formed, give you a timeline of their activities, Mm -hmm. and then the rescue and all that crap. Okay? So in February 1959, nine Russian hikers died under strange circumstances. Um, Nobody knows what happened. Nobody. Nobody. Except for the hikers. Yes. But they're dead. (laughs) Most of the details that have been formed from the timeline and everything else are taken from their pictures, their diaries, and their logs recovered from the campsite after a search ensued. Mm -hmm. 
So, George, take it away to how a group is formed. So glad you asked. <laughs> in 1959, Igor Dyatlov, who was a 23-year-old radio engineering student at Ural Poly Technical Institute, assembled a group of nine fellow classmates at the university for a skiing ex- expedition across the northern Urals in Sovetlovsk Oblast, Soviet Union. Um, the group, or the goal of this expedition was to reach Gora Orten, Orterten, sure. I think Orterten. Yes. Sound right. Sure. Uh, which was rated a Category 3, the most difficult. It was going to take 14 days. Orterton in the native Mansai language means mountain of the dead. Don't sign me up for that. No. Who would do that? No, really. I probably would. No. Well, yeah. You said you want to go to that freaking Fuji forest. Yeah. The suicide forest. Yeah. So you, yeah, you know, I'm not going to travel with you. <laughs> Suicide Forest and Mountain of the Dead. Let's hit them all. Uh-uh. Yeah. That's probably the, only the, the two mountains in the world that deal with death. And you're Mount like, Everest, bro. But it's not called Mountain of the Dead. It's called Everest, and there's dead people up there. Yeah, but they don't, they don't talk about it. I want to talk about they it. They just know a, about it. In a future podcast. <laughs> so we're bringing the truth to these people. Okay, go that on. That would be... Yeah, sorry. Um, the group consisted of eight men and two women all who are experienced grade two hikers and would be receiving their grade three classification after they return from Lagora Orterton. A level three classification required people to climb 190 miles. In 1956, a grade three classification was the highest certification available in the Soviet Union. This expedition was to take place towards the end of January. January. I feel like if I'm going to climb a mountain, I'm not going to do it in January. Nah, you do it. Well, yeah, they're in the Northern Hemisphere, so it'd be cold as shit, so. Yeah, I feel like I'd wait till, like, spring or fall or something. Summer, even, you know. I don't, I'm not really a fan of heat, either. I don't think it gets, it doesn't get hot in a mountain. Like, How do you know? How many mountains have you climbed? Have you ever heard of a little thing called elevation? (laughs) No. You ever see you go to, like, Colorado (laughs) where there's snow on the mountaintops? I've never been to Colorado. Well, read a fucking book. (laughs) (laughs) Rude. (laughs) He's aggressive today, too. He was aggressive last time. He's aggressive this time. I, I can't, can't deal with I this. I got it. It's in my bones. I can't anger, help it. Anger. Anger problems. Please, <laughs> you got it, too. Please deliver or please please donate to the Patreon so we can get George some help <laughs> with his anger issues. Because oh, Jesus Christ. Okay. It's not my fault. Shit. Roll call. We're going to roll call those people. Mm-hmm. I thought you were about to say we're going to roll call this bitch. <laughs> I was going to, but I didn't want to be disrespectful. I saw the bee roll, building up. It was happening. <laughs> I censored myself. In this... In this people. <laughs> okay, Igor. There's a lot of people named Igor and Yuri. I think that's... A, like, yeah, you have to be named Just that so to you be know. Russian. Igor Dyatlov was 23, male. He's the one that formed the group. We already talked about him a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yuri Nikolaevich, 21, male. Ledomila Dubina. Ooh, that sounded good. 20, female. <laughs> oh, shit. I just Fucking said Russian. George <laughs> <laughs> July Kravashenko. Yep, 23, male. Alexander Kelvatov, 24, male. Zanata Kolmogorva, 22, female. Rustam Slobodin, 23, male. Nikolai Theobo Brignols, 23 male. Semyon Zoltorov, 38 male. 
in the last one, Jord. You're Uden. <laughs> Crushed it. <laughs> <laughs> he was 21 male. Yep. All right. Let's get into this timeline. Yep. So on January 23rd, the group takes a train from Servadlovsk to the city of Surov. January 24th, the group arrives at Surov in the morning where Kribenshenko was arrested for soliciting and singing out loud, but was released. A drunk accused him of stealing his vodka. No fun in Russia. No. Don't you dare sing out loud. They put the kibosh on that real fast. The kibosh. The kibosh. Or the kashba. That's not Russian, though. What the hell? What is that? (laughs) That is a song. That is. That's a good one. That's a song. That's good. Okay, so January 25th, the group group arrives by train in Ivdel and takes a bus to Vizhay. January 26th, what? Vizhay. Vizhay, girl, hey. (laughs) That's so Russian. Shit. January 26th, the truck takes the group to a lodging community called District 41. That sounds not good. What? District 41. It's not the Hunger Games. It's Russia. Yeah, but still, it's basically the Hunger Games. That's true. It's like the Hungry Games. I wonder. <laughs> I think we, I think we have a, people in Russia that listen to us. Oh, sorry. I wonder if we could get blocked. We're technically talking about the Soviet Union, so. True. Not Russia. Yeah. Our bad. So, yeah. But still. But still, we could be on some sort of list. Get, well, for saying what? I don't saying know. District 41 sounds like a fucking place I don't want to be. True, true. Going to District 41 at the base of the Murder Mountain or whatever the fuck it's called. <laughs> Nuh-uh. Not for me. Mountain of the Dead. Close get enough. Get it right. Shit. I'll be going there. Mm-mm. Uh, January 27th, the group hires a sled for 15 miles to the north to a mining settlement that is abandoned. Um, the group of 10, uh, on January 28th, the group of 10 now becomes nine. Yuri Yudin was forced to go back to the sled due to poor health, uh, which was attributed to sciatica. I get that. That sucks. That's the nerve, right? That'll, yeah, yeah, that goes just, all the way down yeah. your butt. Ugh, yeah. Yeah. No Kind of makes you useless. Can't yeah. walk around on or anything. I would not go hiking in no. the snow. No. With sciatica. Yeah, that sounds like a nightmare. Um, the rest of the group spends the night on the banks of the Lazva River. January 29th, the group on skis make their way to Lazva to Aspia River, where they spend the night. And then on the 30th, the group pitches their tent on the banks of the Aspia River. Uh, January 31st, the group tries to ascend the shortest way from Aspia to the Lazva River, now called Dyatlov Pass. Uh, the group goes back to spend the night on the banks of the Ospia River. February 1st, they started to hike late and only traveled 2.5 miles. They had extra gear and food that was stored on a platform in the forest they used as a base camp. The camp was set up around 5 p.m. on a slope of Kolat Saki, just 10 miles. That was right. That was right. From Mount Ortatin. Their goal. They had dinner around six or seven, and a few members went outside to go to the bathroom. The thoughts are that Zol Torov and Theobo Bergenel were the two that went outside because they were found better dressed than the others. February 2nd, all members of the group are dead. Dun, dun, dun. Oh, shoot. Uh, Febu- that escalated quickly. Yeah, it did. That went from meh to having dinner and taking a pee to you're dead. They gone. 
February 12th. The group was expected to return back to the Vizhay, or return back in Vizhay, I'm sorry, after their expedition, but did not return. Dyatlov has told Yuri prior to the expedition that he would send a telegram to their sports club as soon as they returned back. Dyatlov also told Yuri he expected the trek to take a little longer than normal, so Yuri did not think too much about the fact they had not returned yet. Family members of the group started demanding a rescue of their loved ones. February 20th, the Institute sent the first rescue group consisting of volunteers, students, and teachers. Uh, February 21st, the Army of Police Forces became involved with planes and helicopters being ordered to join the rescue operation. February 26th, searchers find the tent on Kolat Sayaki. Uh, Mihail Soravin, a student, found the tent and said it was half torn down and covered with snow. It was empty. All the group's belongings and shoes had been left behind. Upon further investigation, it was found that the tent had been cut open from the inside and that the skiers had ran in their socks or bare feet. There is a chain of eight or nine sets of footprints left by several people who were wearing socks, a single shoe, or barefoot. Um, this trail could be followed toward the edge of the nearby woods, but after about a quarter mile, the foots were or the footprints were covered <laughs> with snow. The foots. <laughs> the foots were covered. The footprints were covered with snow. At the edge of the forest, under a big tree, there is remains of a fire along with the first of two bodies. Or the first two bodies, I'm sorry. Those of Yuri Kiroshenko and Yuri Dorshenko, um, who only had on their underwear, which is wild. Yeah. that's uh, The branches of the tree above were broken, which indicated that the skiers had climbed up to look for something. Later, forensics uncovered that there are traces of skin embedded in the bark um, where they had frantically climbed the tree, grabbing and breaking branches with their, with their hands until they sh- were shredded. Um, the medical examiner stated that some of the bodies had liver mortis on the front. Liver mortis always sets on the side of the body that was pressed against the ground, which indicated that, that the bodies had turned were turned over after death, mm-hmm. which is crazy. Yeah. February 27th, between the trees where the fire was found in the tent, searchers find Igor Dyatlov and Zenaida Kolmogorov. March 5th, Rustam Slodin's body is found. So so it goes from February 27th to March 5th. Mm-hmm. Um, so Rustam Slodin's body is found. Igor, Zenaida, and Rustam died in poses suggesting they were attempting to return to the tent. It was concluded that they both died of hypothermia. Sladen did have a small crack in his skull, but it was not thought of to be a fatal wound. A legal inquest started after finding the first five bodies. So now they were searching for the other four travelers, and it took them two months. Yeah. On May 5th, the final four bodies were found under 12 feet of snow in a ravine about 82 yards farther into the woods than where the fire was. Um, these four were better dressed than the others. The others were mostly naked. Right. Um, and suggested that they had stolen clothes from those who had died first. Zoltorov was wearing Dubina's faux fur coat and hat, while Dubina's foot was wrapped in a piece of Krivoshenko's wool pants. The discovery of these bodies and their wounds changed the whole investigation because up until this point, they were just thinking they died of hypothermia. Mm -hmm. Um, Three of them had fatal injuries. The body of Theobo 
Brizhenol had major skull damage, and both Dabina and Zoltorov had major chest fractures. According to the doctor over the case, the force required to cause that much damage would have had to been extremely high, and he compared it to a force of a car crash. Wow. The bodies had no external wounds, as if they were broken by a high level of pressure. Dabina was found missing her tongue, eyes, part of her lips, and facial tissue, and a fragment of skull bone. Zoltorov's eyeballs were also missing, and Kilovatov was missing his eyebrows. That's weird. That is weird. A forensic expert stated that the removal of eyeballs was done post-mortem due to the location of their bodies in the stream. The group tried to stay alive by digging out a den in the snow and laying it down with branches in an effort to keep warm. Bodies were actually found a few feet from their new shelter in the deep part of the ravine, and some of the hikers' clothes were found to be radioactive. Hmm. Strange. Mm-hmm. Some of the clothes taken from the bodies near the fire uh, were hung on branches but were not used. On May 28th, the case was closed. That's How, how did they find them under 12 feet of snow? Well, I think they had to wait until... That's why it took two months, uh, because they were out. searching, yeah, and they were waiting on some of it to melt. Right. That makes sense. All right, so we've got a summary of events. So this is just Cliff's Notes version of what happened. Take it away. Uh, six of the group members died of hypothermia, and three died from fatal injuries. There is no indication of other people nearby in the mountain, apart from the nine travelers. The tent had been ripped open from within. Uh, the victims had died six to eight hours after their last meal. Traces from the camp showed that all group members left the campsite on their own accord and on foot. High levels of radiation were found on only two of the victims' clothing. The blow to the bodies were too strong to be caused by another human with no soft tissue damage, which is weird. Yeah. Um, Release documents contain no information about the condition of the skier's internal organs. There There are no survivors of the incident. Yeah. So I've got a summary of death just to wrap it up here in a tight little package for you so i'm gonna go over the three or four that had issues so Lidmila dabina had major chest fractures was missing her tongue eyes part of her lip as well as facial tissues and a fragment of her skull bone she had radiation okay alexander kelatov died of hypothermia had exposed skull bones and also had radiation Hmm. rustum slow fractured skull multiple areas of edema and abrasions on his face and arm. Nikolai Fiabo, he had major skull damage, multiple fractures to the side of his skull that would have made him unable to move. Semyon Zoltorov, he had major chest fractures and was missing eyeballs. The rest of them was all hypothermia. Yep. So just to lay it all out there. Mm Mm-hmm. The verdict, um, it was concluded that the group members had died because of a compelling natural force. The inquest officially ceased in May 1959 as a result of absence of the guilty party. All the files were sent to a secret archive. Like you do in Russia. Yeah, very Russian. Secret. That's just so, that's such an ominous way to word that. They died by a compelling natural force. And it ended because... They couldn't find a guilty party. That's wild. Yeah. That would be frustrating to be a family member of that. Mm-hmm. You just, yep. I couldn't imagine. 
So the aftermath. In 1997, it was revealed that the negatives from Krivenchenko's camera were kept in private in a private archive of one of the investigators, Lev Invan, Invanov. Mm. Does that sound Russian? Invanov. Invanov. <laughs> the film material was donated by Ivanov's daughter to the Dyatlov Foundation, which was founded in 1999. That's not that far away. Mm-mm. At um, Yetterberg, with the help of Ural State Technical University, the foundation's stated aim is to continue the investigation of the case and to maintain the Dyatlov Museum to preserve the memory of the dead hikers. In July 2016, a memorial plaque was inaugurated in Zolmask in Ural's Perm region, dedicated to Yuri Yudin, the sole survivor who died in 2013. The diaries of the hikers fell into the Russian public domain in 2009, 50 years after the incident. That'd be hard to live with. Knowing that you escaped. Yeah. Just because of a bad nerve. That's like. Bet he'd never been so happy to have sciatica before in his life. Yeah, that's one of those things that you'd be like happy and it's like bittersweet because it's, you're alive, but like all your friends just died. Yeah, it's survivor's guilt too. Yeah, that'd be, Maybe something would have been different if I would have been there. Right. Yeah. Um, April 12, 2018, the remains of Zolotarev were exhumed after some DNA evidence contradicted if he was truly who he said he was. According to his diaries, his real name was Alexander, and a birth date he proved or provided was wrong. In the autopsy report, strange tattoos and an inscription tattooed Dyer Muzaya are described, but relatives do not remember this tattoo. His students who saw their teacher undressed to the waist in physical education classes do not remember it either. It was noted that before going on this journey, he commented, this whole this whole world will start talking about this trek. Ooh, mm. That's suspicious. Suspicious, yes. And I was having a hard time trying to understand what they were talking about with him. What do you mean? Like... We'll get into it later. Okay. Don't go anywhere. (laughs) Cliffhanger. (laughs) Seven of the dead students were buried in Malofsky Cemetery in Servolisk. Simeon Soltorov and Yuri Krivenchenko, for some reason, were buried separately in the Avansko Cemetery. Their graves are next to each other. Recently, Zoltorov's relatives gathered to put semen a monument instead of a dilapidated rough oblique crown with a star. But then another great mystery came up. It turned out that semen Zoltorov generally does not appear in the list of the buried at Ivansko Cemetery. The grave under the oblique was the inscription with the inscription Simeon Zoltorov is not listed to belong to anybody. In other words, according to the documentation, Simeon Zoltorov was never buried at that cemetery. Hmm. That's interesting. That's very strange. All right. So now we got some theories. Lots of them. 20. Yeah. So the first one is um, KBG agents in a controlled environment. KBG? Know what I said? No. It's KGB. What did I say? KBG. KGB. That's what I said. No. I think so. No. I'm pretty sure. (laughs) Um, KBG. KGB. 
<laughs> which was a committee for state security for the Soviet Union until it's dissolved in 1991. Um, KGB. <laughs> it is thought that Zolotorov, Kolovatov, and Krivenshenko were members of the KGB, and they were to deliver radioactive samples to a group of agents in the CIA and to take pictures of spies. The other seven members of the group were unaware of the mission. Uh, the group was said to be carrying sophisticated camera equipment, which was unusual considering they were trying their best to lighten their loads during the expedition. Out of the ten rolls of film they were said to have, only four were discovered. Yuri Kuncevich uh, says one of the rolls of film actually captured a glowing ball believed to be a part of the technology-induced phenomenon. Each member of the group also maintained a diary, but only three survived to tell researchers today what might have happened. Kuncevich also confirmed that the leader of the group had official identification labeling him KGB. Did you just say cunt sandwich? <laughs> Kuncevich. Uh. <laughs> that, that's rude. I don't, I'm not going to lie to y'all. I just had to read that about 20 times. <laughs> Kuncevich got me every time. Kuncevich. What a name. Sorry, uh. Sorry bud. All right. Anyway. That was tough. I got tears in my eye. Hikers mistaken for gulag fugitives. You know what the gulag is? I do. Why? Because Mission Impossible? Because it's called duties. Oh, yeah. The gulag. You never come out. Nah. Not even once. Nope. I don't one one time. Once? Yeah. Proud of you. <laughs> Anybody plays on Xbox? Alley Fantastical. What's yours? JWall 363. Yeah. I'm trying to crush it yeah okay so for all those who don't play call of duty the gulag was a system of labor camps maintained in the soviet union from 1930 until 1955 and many people died they were they were basically concentration camps so many political prisoners of the gulag were released between 1953 and 1956 but criminals were still behind bars so most of the political people we're gone. What? <laughs> I'm still. Kuntsevich. <laughs> you said that so harsh. What? <laughs> You're like, what? Cunt. <laughs> Sorry for yeah, children's. Yeah, Any children's. Don't say that word, nope. kids. Or don't have a name, cunt sandwich, either. <laughs> okay. The closest gulag was Ivan Dog. Which was just a few miles from the site. Lock it up over there. It's, okay. What? Don't judge my words. It's I've the log. You just said Ivan dog. <laughs> you said cunt sandwich. Well, fair enough. You okay. Yeah, I win. All right. So what did you say? I've the log. I've, I've the log. I've the log. Which was just a, a few miles from the site. There were no escapees around the time of the tragedy, but it doesn't mean that there weren't escapees before. So history shows that there were examples where prisoners would escape and go into hiding for years or even decades at a time. I don't know why you, like, that'd be hard to survive up there. Mm -hmm. Young hikers could be taken for unwanted witnesses and then killed. Yuri Yudin discovered a piece of clothing that he said did not belong to any members of the group. The obmaki is a wide piece of clothing that 
are usually wrapped around feet or legs to keep them warm. They're widely used among the soldiers in the 40s and later among the prisoners of the concentration camps. Nobody knows how it got there, and, and nobody knows how it disappeared from the evidence, but it oh, did. That's weird. Yeah. All right. I'm trying to tighten it up over here. <coughs> Lock it got up. got the giggles. All right. Military test with radio sound. Vladimir Nagaev, mm. a veteran of the KGB and Federal Security Service of Russia, published a trilogy in 2018 that re- reveals the group died while participating in a scientific experiment of national importance. They were launching special purpose radio probes in an underpopulated area. Under the shell of the balloon <clears throat> was a gas which lived re- a short lived radioactive isotope. Um, Five sulfur phosphorus. Negative five. Okay. Meteorological rockets are known to have been used <clears throat> in the mount in the region of Mount Orcherton. At some point, a missile must have hit one or more of the radiosons and spilled the radioactive content. Uh, a coroner may not have detected the toxic chemical because it usually leaves the body within three to five minutes after coming in contact with it. However, traces can be found in the organs of a corpse. Um, the group had signs of damage to internal organs by toxic, toxic chemicals. An eyewitness stated that the color of the skin of the bodies was a dark brown color, and this is a characteristic of phosphorus poisoning. Yeah, because it, like, pools your blood, Ooh. and that's why it gives you that, like, brownish color. And they said they didn't release any documents of the internal organs. Yeah. Which is suspect. Suspicious. Yeah. It's a mystery. And it's in the histories. <laughs> You're right. (laughs) (laughs) Hence why we're talking about it. Here we are. Here we are. All right. Special Forces. British author Keith McCloskey believes that the group stumbled upon a military testing area and were killed by Soviet soldiers protecting the area or were scared into fleeing by the sound of nearby explosions. It was strictly forbidden for military equipment to leave its location. So a group of military officers took a helicopter to flush out wildlife for a group of Manzai people. Just we're going to talk about Manzai people next, but just so you know, that's like the the native group to the area. So it's like the Native Americans of the Orchiton. Hmm. The hunt was filmed and the camera was sealed in clothes. The clothes were marked with radioisotopes to help to detect its location. The operator left the camera near the Dyatlov cache site. They believe Zoltorov found the camera and was spotted taking photos of the helicopter. 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 The copter. The officers realized that the photos had been taken of their illegal use of the helicopter and formed a group to get the camera back. So these men went to go get this camera. Mm-hmm. They were told to not use deadly force. They did. Killed them all. Killed them all. Actually. They only killed seven of them. And then the other ones? So they so they killed seven of them that were there at the site. Mm-hmm. They went back, or then they left. Then they went back to the site to try to cover up their tracks in the snow mm. and found the other two. Dead already? No. They had to kill them. Oh. Let's stop. But, no, let's talk. <laughs> what better than how the other ones died from hypothermia that's what i wanted to know this this one 
I even had to have Josh read the thing Mm -hmm. because it was really just weird weird to understand it so the basis is they took a helicopter they weren't supposed to Mm -hmm. they got the group took pictures of them they wanted to get the pictures so they wouldn't get in trouble they went to the group they wouldn't give the camera back Uh so they killed them all right they left they came back to cover up their tracks and then they found found that the other two they didn't kill them all Mm -hmm. so then they killed them by pressing on their carotid artery oh so now. like strangulation, basically. Yep. Yeah. But then it doesn't show any outward like physical damage. Right. So wow. that's a weird one. Yeah, that's a little out there, but I get where they're going with it. Yeah. So the next one is Manzai. Uh, since there are no breakouts from the gulag, the next suspect were the indigenous Manzai people living in uh Kanti Mansia. An Did autonomous Kanti again? Kanti. <laughs> this is a C word filled episode. It starts with a K, though. Well, <laughs> depends on how you look at it. <laughs> An autonomous district within the Tumen region of Russia. The second week of the investigation, there's a theory that the Vil Mansai hunters, who often camped in the mountain Kolot, committed the crime the night of February 1st. Here are the justifications. There was Mansai Chum, northeast from where the Dyatlov group pitched their tent on the night of January 30th. A trail leading to the Chum was passing 200 feet from where the group camped. That's like Shark Week stuff. The Chum did. The Chum. Yeah. Um, Manzai knew that the area or knew the area and had skills had the skills to hide their ski tracks. Manzai are proud, secluded people. They consider the mountains their hunting ground. If the Manzai told them that they should not be there and the hikers went anyway, a verbal confrontation could have easily escalated to physical violence. Um, ethnographers knew the Manzai holy places scattered across the northern Urals, mysterious stones and pagan prayer houses, and the mysticism and unknown made the Soviet suspicious and wanted to blame the crime on the Manzai. Rumors were circulating of a woman geologist that was tied and thrown into a lake in the 30s. The motive was desecration of Manzai shrines. But there are some inconsistencies also. Tell me about them. Um, even though the story of the geologist was true, there hadn't been a crime committed in the area for at least three decades. Um, there were no sacred places in the surroundings near where the group was camping. Uh, hikers' property was not stolen after they were chased down the mountain. Mansai had very little, and if they saw tents, shoes, coats, etc., they would have taken it. Which makes sense. Yeah. They're so, just trying to survive. So that one, I don't know about that one. Yeah. That's... I'm not. That seems like they were just stretching for an answer. They were trying to blame them because then they could just have an answer and be done. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Shrooms. Oh, shit. Like drugs. The magic kind. The magic shrooms. The local indigenous people in the region, the Manzai, practice a form of shamanic religion in which local mushrooms are used by shamans to travel to the spirit world and help those played by illness or to communicate with the dead. Shamanic culture in Siberia is extremely well studied, and there are numerous books about the findings. Um, Fly algaric mushrooms Mm -hmm. are known as magic mushrooms. 
and it's a particularly toxic mushroom, and it's not easily processed in its natural form. It's so toxic that the shamans prefer to intake the naturally occurring psychedelic in another form, which is reindeer pee. So they let them go through their body. Yep. So it came as your body. So they feed them to the reindeer, and then I don't know how you collect reindeer pee. Uh, I mean, there must be some sort of process that I'm not aware of. That's, yeah, that's a new level of... Yeah, but apparently the reindeer have, like, a better indoor system. (laughs) You just refer to organs as an indoor system? I'm very scientific. Yeah, well, Um, biology major over here. I know. So, yeah, their indoor system... That's a whole new kind of drug dealer. Let me get some of that reindeer pee. Right. (laughs) But apparently they have a, a... different system than we do to make it less lethal. Oh, are you speaking of the indoor system? The indoor system. <laughs> they have a better, okay. As opposed to the outdoor system. I gotcha. The skin. Yeah. The epidermis. <laughs> Dang. Ooh, as some like to call it. Yeah. So anyways, the fly algaric looks familiar because it's the same mushroom that's shown in Alice in Wonderland. You know those huge mushrooms? I've never seen Alice in Wonderland. Okay, well... I, I bet you. I bet you're right, though. Yeah, <laughs> I am. I feel you. So you need to watch Alice in Wonderland. Okay. Um, but that's the big mushrooms in Alice in Wonderland are those fly algaric mushrooms. Uh, the reason why. So in you know how she goes. Do you know the story of Alice in Wonderland? I know there's like the uh, the cat. Yeah, we're not. But she goes into a little door. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> Sorry. I don't know. <laughs> All everybody else in the world that's seen Alice in Wonderland, um, the the mushrooms inspired the book Alice in Wonderland, not the movie. Hmm. There are books of movies, just so you know, Jordan. Wow. And the reason why is because some of the side effects of it is that they make things look larger than they really are, and they make people feel a uh, person feel small. It can also cause the opposite effect, micropism. They these can occur simultaneously, creating the effect known as Alice in Wonderland syndrome. Huh. Other effects are becoming delirious, entering a trance state, sweating and twitching. So the theory is, is that these these shaman would hang these mushrooms in the trees to make them dry out because they're less potent too. Whenever they're dry, mm. and they think that they found a bag of mushrooms. And took them, and they didn't understand how toxic the mushrooms were. Uh, Then they entered a nearly hypnotic state, prone to easy suggestion, and they may have also begun sweating and felt as though the natural environment would not harm them. In a hasty decision, they may have exited the tent by cutting it open, walking down the hillside, and built a fire. Then a few minutes, considering the conditions, the exposed hikers succumb to hypothermia and the others would attempt to try to go back to the tent to get supplies. That makes sense. It does make sense. Because that explains why they're not wearing anything also. Yeah. they're sweating and thought they were hot, but... Yeah. Huh, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Still don't know about the reindeer pee, but... Yeah, we need to Google own. how you do that. Why? Are you trying to get some <laughs> reindeer know. pee drugs? I just... <laughs> I don't want to hurt my indoor system. That's true. Never want to do that. Never. The next one is an avalanche or snow slab. This area of the mountain did not have avalanches, nor was it very steep, but the portion of the upper layer of snow could shift and roll over 
the hikers as a slab of snow. Um, this could damage their tent and make them feel like they were trapped, which would explain why they were, it was cut from the inside. They would need to leave the tent in case of a second avalanche would take place. People who support this theory believe that the hikers make their way back to Ospisa River, but instead went to the valley of the Lazva River. The wind would have blown the evidence or blown all the evidence away in the avalanche. I can see where that would happen too. Yeah, that would be terrifying if you're just sitting there and all of a sudden you're buried alive, basically yeah. in snow. So that's what that wouldn't make sense because you'd panic because you they might have been like in their sleeping bags. Yeah. Not wearing all their gear, obviously. Yeah. And then that happened, and then they just cut their way out and then tried to walk back. I don't know. If I'm in the Arctic, I'm probably sleeping with clothes on. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah, that's just, that's weird. Yeah. That's hard to explain. It is. UFOs. There are claims that a UFO scared the group into the night. Soviet armed forces did launch several rockets from Bakunor base, but the military claimed the rockets landed in the North Ural Mountains. Several geologists 46 miles away from the mountain did see glowing um, in orbs flying in the direction of the Kolatsaki on the day of the tragedy. Lev Ivanov, a man who was in charge of the investigation, stated in the 90s that some of the pines in the forest were burned at the top. He also said that Kurlinko, a member of the Soviet Congress, forced Ivanov to take out any reference to unknown flying objects or any other strange phenomenon. This included any pictures drawn or testimonies given by the man's eye about flying spheres. Kurlinko became obsessed with UFOs, and in the 70s, he filed several requests to gain access to the KGB archives. Nobody knows what was found in those documents, though. The UFOs were not investigated by the officials because it was deemed pseudoscience of religious phenomenon. Huh. What does that even mean? What do you mean? Like, what does that have to... So they're trying to say that UFOs are religious? I guess. I, yeah. Atheist Soviet Union prohibited any interest in the subject. Ivanov published an article in 1990 that admitted in the spring of 1959 he withdrew various key materials from the case that indicated the true cause of the accident, fireballs, or UFO. So it could have been any of the above. Hmm. And I feel like that happens in America. What? They strict things from the strike things from the record. Yeah, that's, about uh, aliens, like Area 51. Well, even the alien tapes they just released, do you see those? No. Where Navy pilots saw, like, UFOs and they didn't know what they were? They were on the internet, but then, like, the government released them. Really? Mm Mm-hmm. Pretty wild. Why did they do that? I don't know. Hmm. But, yeah, it's all strange. The next one is secret launches. It is believed that some of the members of the Dyatlov Pass witnessed some uh, secret trials or experiments that no one was supposed to see, and they were killed by military forces. In order to avoid disclosure of the secret facilities and to hide their crimes, the military and the KGB moved the dead bodies from the real place of death to where they were found. Entries in the diaries of the group described their route they were, were then edited during the course of the investigation. Rescuers and commentators say that the tent was pitched in the right manner, while the others say experienced climbers would never pitch a tent near the slope of a mountain. Many think that the tent was pitched somewhere else and then moved to the area was found. It's a lot of pitching tents. That's a lot of, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Titching pence. Titching pence. 
Um, I agree that I, if I was camping, I mean, if there was like possibility of rocks or snow, I would not put it nor, nor near the base of a mountain, right? But they said earlier in the avalanche part that it wasn't, it never had an avalanche and it wasn't steep, really. Yeah. So, I mean. So, they were doing the right thing. I mean, if it wasn't like, I could see if it was like a cliff, you're not going to put it right at the bottom of a cliff. But yeah. If it's like a little incline, then I don't think it's that big of a deal. Well, so. and it would block the wind. Mm-hmm. So, hmm, okay. Infrasound. Nope. Infrasound. Ooh, there you go. Get that R in there. There's been suggestions that an infrasound. Infrasound. You sound like Sean Connery. <laughs> infrasound. <laughs> no. Infrasound. Infrasound might have been responsible for sudden unpleasant feelings among the hikers. Donnie Elker, who spent five years researching the case and took the same trek himself, believed that a wind phenomenon called a Carmen Vortex Street could have produced a terrifying, powerful sound, which is proven to induce irrational fear in humans. The opposite of ultrasound, infrasound, is a type of vibration in the air which has a frequency so low it can't be picked up by the human ear, but can still have effects on the body, including loss of sleep, shortness of breath, or extreme dread. Have you ever been sitting there and, like, heard something? Yeah. What do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> like a buzzing, a high-pitched. Yeah. Like that? Mm-hmm. That's weird. It's they, I've heard about that before. People, there's, like, things you can't hear, but it, like, it kind of vibrates you. It's like a dog whistle. So it, it like, makes you uncomfortable. Yeah. It, like, it makes you uneasy, but you can't really hear it or explain it, but you just well, don't feel right. Well, like dog whistles. What about them? You can't hear those. <laughs> but dogs But it has can. no effect on humans. Who knows? <laughs> we haven't been dog whistled for like a long length of time. <laughs> if you're camping. What are you saying? <laughs> You've been drinking deer urine or something. You're uh, out of your damn mind. <laughs> we haven't been dog whistled for a long time. Who knows? Do you? What do you mean? <laughs> What are you trying to say? I'm trying to say it's like a dog whistle <laughs> is what I'm trying to say. Like, we can't hear it, but it's still things happen. <laughs> That's the new advertisement for dog whistles. <laughs> we don't hear it, but things happen. <laughs> All right. I'm on board. Dog whistles get at me. I don't know what you're saying still about. You know what? I'll support it. Thank you. <laughs> We haven't been dog whistled for a long time. You know what I mean? Nope. Okay, so if we had infrasound, <laughs> <laughs> if we had infrasound for like a minute, it wouldn't matter because then you would calm down. <laughs> okay. But if you had it for like seven hours. So you're saying if somebody blew a dog whistle at you for a long time. For seven hours, it might be different. Yeah, that's true. Maybe you'd have a feeling of extreme dread. <laughs> I thought you meant like over a long period, like years of dog whistle. No, like I got continual. Now. Yeah, I got you. <laughs> or you'd just be having all these dogs around, which wouldn't be bad. No. Because they'd all come to you. Anyway, continue. In first round. In first round. So the next one is a Yeti, snowman, or mink. People believe since something is ripped out of one of the students' tongues that the Yeti could be responsible. Some say pictures of a Yeti have been captured in the area. Dun, dun, dun. Do you believe in Yetis? Absolutely not. 
or Sam Squanches. I do not believe in Sam Squanches. That's a Trailer Park Boys reference <laughs> for anybody Squanch. who gets it. Bubbles. Bubbles. No, I do not. Do you believe in like Bigfoot? It's the same guy. Yeah, Sam Squanch. Sam Squanch. Uh, I mean, sure. Hmm. I don't uh, really have a reason to believe he's not out there. What's the reason to believe it? I just don't know that he's not out there. I mean, hmm. he could be there. But he could not also. There's bears in the woods. Yeah, but you see them a lot. Do you? Not me, but people. <laughs> <laughs> That's I, exactly I'm, what I'm saying. I'm irrationally afraid of bears. You're what? So afraid of bears. Like, I've never, I don't come in contact with bears, but man, they'll fuck you up. They'll rip your face off. Yeah. They just like. One paw. One paw and your guts are on the ground, you know? I'm sure it's the same with like tigers. Yeah, but yeah. I fuck mean, tigers too. Oh. I don't know. I don't I don't really fear animals except for horses. You fear horses? Yeah, because they're tall and they'll kick people in the face and they know that I'm afraid of them. They smell the fear. They're aggressive towards me and I don't appreciate I'm it. I'm not a big fan of horses either. I don't ever really understood the draw. I'm afraid of heights. Even the height of sitting on top of a horse <laughs> is terrifying. I feel that. Gives me anxiety. I like to be on the ground. I don't think I've ever ridden a horse. Me neither, because they're scary. <laughs> yeah, I don't really have any interest. No. But a bear. You know, ride a bear. No, but I'd feed one. No. You'd feed a bear. We fed a bear. Are you dumb? Do you remember? Yeah, we, they're 10 feet below us. So, and they loved it. They loved apples. But we, if you saw, what would you do if you saw a bear in the wild? You stand still. What would you do? What would I do? Yeah. I'd probably shit my pants. Okay, well, that's probably not good. And then I'd probably crawl into the fetal position and act like one of its cubs. Because hmm. I'm not going to outrun a bear. I'm not going to outrun much. <laughs> and I've come to terms with that. <laughs> huh. And I can't climb. They climb too, though. That's the scary thing. I feel like, though, if you were ahead of them, no. you could at least Have you ever seen, kick them. Watch, YouTube a video of a bear climbing a tree. It's like instant. Is it? They just like, It's like they're running, but upwards. No. It's crazy. No. Yeah, they're nuts. I don't... Mm, yeah. Bears are scary, man. Fuck right. bear. You see those like people in Gatlinburg, like, they'll see like a little bear cub across the road, and they'll like, get out and take pictures of it. Yeah, like, then his mom a, is yeah, around. That mom is not going to be happy. No. That's uh, sketchy. Yeah. Anyway, that's all I got to say about that. So, yeah, no, I believe that it could be out there. No. Yeah. I feel like if it is, though, Russia's the place. Because I feel like there's, like, Russia... Is so huge, and most of it's like Arctic land. Yeah. So it's like. Well, that's where a Yeti would live. But what about yeah, that's Sasquatch? I mean, Yeti. He's probably like in Kentucky. No. In the hills. I don't think so. Sipping on that moonshine. <laughs> that's where I'd be. That's what I meant. Though. A Yeti would be in Russia because it's there's so much like just barren land. Yeah. But uh, yeah. The next one is a teleportation experiment. In 2013, a horror movie came out called Devil's Pass that suggested there was a teleportation experiment that happened, and its guards killed the hikers. Yeah. The movie is hated. <laughs> what? <laughs> What's your deal, dog? Nothing. All right. The movie is hated among the Diet Love community, but the movie has become popular. Uh, has become so popular, people mistake it as being real. Mm-hmm. So did you watch that movie? I did a long time ago. Is it good? It's all right. It deals with the um, Philadelphia experiment, which oh. is like they tried to, 
I think it was Philadelphia to Baltimore or something like that. They tried to, uh, allegedly, I don't think this is really like a thing, but allegedly they tried to transport a cruise ship from Philadelphia to Baltimore. Uh, and then whenever it worked, but whenever it showed up, there was like people stuck in the walls of uh, the ship. It's like it all went awry. But yeah. in the movie, they're pretty much saying that somehow they walked into a portal of uh, that same like time. Yeah. Oh, I see. But it's just, yeah. But the movie is weird, though, because it takes place now. It's like a group that goes... Back in time. No, they go to the... Where the people passed away in, like, the current day. Oh. So it's like... It doesn't really have anything to do with it. It's just like... The only thing it has to do with Dial of Pass is, like, it happened... They go to the same spot where these people passed away. So it's not even really about the people. Okay. Which is kind of weird, but... Hmm. All right. Lightning strike or a ball of lightning? <laughs> the tent slits. <laughs> that sounds like a punk band. <laughs> the tent slits. Ooh, that's good. That could be our cover band. <laughs> oh, that's funny. The tent slits, a hot spot near the tent, and a camera on a makeshift tripod could suggest that the group was observing something in the sky. Oh. It is possible that the group left the tent due to a ball of lightning getting very close to the tent and hovering there, melting the snow beneath the hot spot. The group then hurried off into the tree line and lit a fire while they waited for the object to disappear. The man's eye confirmed sightings of golden orbs. They believe the two hikers who lit a fire by the tree line were electrocuted, creating burnt hair, bleeding head, large burns, pulmonary edema, and tree damage, and the other deaths occurred in the ravine due to an explosion event near the den. Hmm. That could happen, I guess. I guess. I feel like it's far-fetched, but it's possible. All of these are far-fetched. I don't know, man. The Yeti? Are you joking me? I don't know, man. Come on. All right. The next one, I kind of maybe get this, too, the stove. So... Clark Wilkins wrote a book called A Compelling Unknown Force, which is what they were said to have died from, Mm -hmm. and promotes the theory that the hikers left the tent due to smoke from the stove. The problem with this theory is that the hikers wouldn't need to go a mile down the hill to escape from smoke. They'd just have to get out of the tent. Even uh, if they thought it would be a fire in the tent, they wouldn't need to go that far. Wilkins states that we know they used the stove on the night of the incident because it took place before... Uh, because it took place because they were partially eaten pieces of fried ham. <laughs> I put friend ham in my notes. Friend ham. Um, yeah, it could be. Who knows? Um, of fried ham and bacon found inside the tent. Um, he thinks that after taking apart the stove and removing the exhaust pipe, the embers from inside the stove were accidentally reignited. <laughs> As the exhaust pipe had been removed, the smoke would have filled the tent in seconds. Mm. So they had to clean the stove every night and keep it in their tent. Um, They attempted to get control of the flame, and they cut a few holes in the top to vent the smoke. That didn't work, and it became increasingly hard to breathe. So they had to slash the side of the tent and escape in a state of panic. The burn marks on the bodies or clothing could have been from the smoldering hot hot metal stove. Several members were found with blood around their mouth. And coughing up blood could be a symptom of smoke inhalation. That makes sense. So I really accept this one. That makes the most sense out of all of them. Yeah. But, yeah, it doesn't make sense that they're so far away. Right. Well, unless, I mean, 
Well, you could if be... all your stuff's on fire. What, what, they didn't say anything about it being on, like, like nothing was on fire. They found the tent. Yeah, it just said about, well, but some of their stuff was burnt. I don't know. It doesn't explain everything, but I, I could see where maybe if you had, like, a lot of carbon monoxide from the smoke, you could be disoriented. Yeah. And maybe traveled that far because you just... But you'd think if they, it was that bad... If like the embers reignited, then it would be a fire. Yeah. And then that it has like burnt something. Well, it's plastic material, so I mean, it's like that. It's even if it got too hot inside, it would melt. So I mean, that would make sense, but there's a couple holes. You're in killing it. my theory here. Yeah, well, I'm no. just saying it's that would make sense, but you would think there wouldn't be a tent to find. Right, because it would have been gone. Or just yeah, a pile of ashes. Yeah. All right. The next one is a gravity fluctuation. Hmm. Oh. Russian scientists believe that the hikers came into an area where under certain circumstances the force of gravity can fluctuate. Urshenko, an associate professor, believes that the significantly decreased external pressure threw the hikers out from the tent. What? The hikers in the tent, sleeping or just getting ready, had time to undress, and then an unknown force began to lift them up from the floor, dragged them in the direction of a decreased pressure. That's insane. Yeah. That real? Yeah. The outside air pressure was lower than inside the tent. It pushed people outwards, which caused unexplained internal injuries. Some of the hikers died instantly while others lasted for a while, but the bodies, once outside the tent, remained hovering in the air as though lying in a horizontal surface. They flew one by one or in groups from the tent to be scattered on the slope or in the woods. When they were falling to the snow from a height, <clears throat> they were not able to protect themselves and received injuries to their faces, which were disfigured. Uh, he believes the hikers did not get out of the tent. They might they might not have died. Or if they did not get out of the tent, they might not have died. People, cattle, and wild animals are dying in a similar manner a lot. I don't think that's true. It's got to be. That doesn't seem right. Science. This is a lot? People are dying in this manner a lot? I've never heard one person dying like this. <laughs> <laughs> You're saying if you're in a tent and just you just get lifted up and then dropped. It moves you outside your tent and then just drops you. Have you ever seen Poltergeist? Yeah. It'd be happening everywhere. That don't make any... That whole paragraph was like... I was reading a fucking Twilight Zone. It's a true. When? 1950-something <laughs> in Russia. <laughs> People, cattle, wild animals are dying in a similar manner a lot. <laughs> that seems so not scientific. Okay, just look, some I, guy. I changed some of the words <laughs> to make them my own. Some guy's just like, trust me, it's a lot. <laughs> it's happening a lot. A lot. Show me one. Huge. It's huge. <laughs> That's funny. I mean, I could see that happening. I'm just going to put dumb? that out there. <laughs> Catabatic Wind. Catabatic. Catabatic. That's another punk band. Oh, yeah. Means descending. This type of falling wind can appear when cold air over a glacier or mountainous area starts to flow down a gradient. The phenomenon can be described as a ball rolling downhill by gravity, hence it's also labeled gravity wind, a wind that carries high-density air from a higher elevation down a slope. 
Kabatic wind happens quickly, unlike a storm that you can see rolling in. There are many plane crashes in the region due to catabatic wind. Catabatic. Catabatic. The next one. Wolverine. (laughs) Wolverines. Uh, Wolverines are known for their fierce and cruel temper and love to eat. They do not run away from danger. Huh? Same. They do not run away from danger, but they attack first. They have been... There have been retor- reported attacks where a 30-pound wolverine has torn apart a bear. They ain't afraid of bears. That's facts. Shit. That's wild. Um, so wolverines have had traces in that area. The group was eating at the same time. The group was eating at the time that something made them flee from the tent. Uh, the wolverine tried to climb inside the tent through the main entrance. There were deep scratches on C.O. Bowden's camera case. The wolverine tries to escape and gets tangled in the tent. Once trapped, the wolverine secretes its chemical weapon indoors, and the tent is filled with a terrible smell. Chaos begins, so someone slices the tent so they can escape. Despite the fact that they leave the tent quickly, they walk slowly along the slope since it's tangled. Since the wolverine's tangled up. Ah. They don't have to run. True. Someone throws out their outer clothing to try to get rid of the stench, and the search dog's behavior was remembered by a pilot to be strange. The dog handlers had to drag them out, which may be reacting to the odor. So I didn't know that wolverines were like skunks. I didn't either. That's the first I heard of that. Chemical weapon. Huh. Hmm. Interesting. What's a wolverine look like anyway? It looks like a little... It looks like a mix of a bear and like a groundhog. Like a meerkat? I don't know what that looks like. Hmm. They're ugly. Are they? Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Let me show, I'll show you one. Yeah, show me. Yeah, it's like a... It reminds... I think of like a badger. Like a honey badger. So, here's a good one. If I can get it to go up there. The suspense is killing me. All right. Looks like... Here. Oh. Yeah, they're ugly little things. Okay. They look like ferrets, like aggressive ferrets. Yeah. Big ferrets. Big ferrets. <laughs> <laughs> it sounded so like so Midwestern. Uh, oh my, that's a big ferret. That's a big oh ferret. Oh my god. Right Don't you know? Karen, look at this ferret. <laughs> He's pissed. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that's that's Wolverine. Wolverines, You're big welcome. ferrets, terrifying. <laughs> Okay, methanol poisoning. Methanol poisoning symptoms may include decreased level of consciousness, poor coordination, vomiting, abdominal pain, and a specific smell in the breath. Probably not a good one. Uh-uh. Decreased vision may start as early as 12 hours after exposure. Long-term outcomes may include blindness and kidney failure. Um, the behavior that the hikers exhibited of methanol poisoning would be cutting up the tent from the inside, going down the slope side by side instead of like in a line, mm-hmm. cutting up branches to make a fire while there was dry wood laying by the tree line, high amount of urine and Dyatlov's bladder, which could mean kidney failure. How do they get the methanol? How do they get it? Uh, I'm going to tell you. Okay. There could have been a possible methanol spill over the past. That'll do it. That will do it. Someone poisoned the fuel with methanol-based fuel for the stone, the stove. Stone. The stove. 
and they could have drank from a flask with methanol since alcohol is hard to find. I feel like that's, you're an alcoholic (laughs) if you're going to drink methanol because you can't find alcohol. Yeah, that's not a good sign. So don't do that, kids. No. No. While you're at it, don't drink reindeer pee either. No. You know. Not recommended. Don't fight with a wolverine or a yeti. Mm -mm. Or bears. No bears. Mm -mm. You learn all kinds of stuff. You do. Just don't go hiking on Death Mountain. That was my final thought. Well. (laughs) (laughs) You just ruined it. (laughs) We'll come back to that. Okay, go. Um, The next one is an altercation on the pass. There could have been a possible fight between the hikers themselves or another group on the pass. The hikers had injuries that took place a day or two before they died, like bruises and cuts. More than likely, the group came into conflict with someone else in the area. Krivinshenko had a swollen right hand, and his knuckles looked like he had punched someone. Yeah. So, Or, I mean, you're hiking. You could have yeah, fallen, fallen or something. Yeah. But then I thought they said earlier, too, that there was nobody else Around. in the area. Yeah. yeah. So that one doesn't really make Unless they fought themselves, which is, that would make sense why they found two of them. Separated. Yeah. But then it doesn't explain the clothes. Yeah. Well, and I don't know how quickly hypothermia sets in either. I feel like it'd be pretty quick. Yeah, it depends on the temperature, but yeah, I'm sure it's fast. Yeah. Hmm. Arctic hysteria. I don't know what that other word says. Maracini, we'll mm-hmm. say. People compared the Atlov Pass and the Churava Pass incidents together. So the Chirava Pass incidents happened in Russia also, as well in January 1973 at Lavarzo Massif. <laughs> Lavarzo Natives. <laughs> you sounded so American. Lavarzo. <laughs> like a southern guy trying to be Russian. Lavarzo. <laughs> like Zach Galifianakis. <laughs> I'm a lot. I'm a Lavarzo. <laughs> That's crazy. The Lavarso natives. <laughs> oh, my God. They said that Mara Cheney <laughs> was the cause of strange behavior of the hikers, like disorientation, loss of tracking time, not feeling good, walking in a trance. It also suggested it could uh, cause su- aggression. <laughs> you okay. Aggression. Aggression. I now you're talk talking in different languages. I can't talk to <laughs> Aggression. <laughs> and atypical behavior. This theory has only been proven, though, in native people, not non-natives. <laughs> what? <laughs> so this hysteria, this Arctic hysteria, has only happened to the native people. But I wonder why. In Russia, not... Non-natives. Not non-natives. Non-non. I don't know how <laughs> that happens, but anyway. That doesn't make much sense. It doesn't. Some of these don't. Most of them don't. But we are here to give you the facts. Just, and yeah. the facts is we don't know shit. Yeah, we're not telling you what happened. We're, we're telling you what might have happened. Jordy already told you what my final thought was. Don't go no Death Mountain. Don't go there. Don't go to Russia, the maybe. Mountain of the Dead is what it says. But yeah, don't I'm go gonna there. I'm going to say just no Russia. Because <sighs> isn't that where that. Chernobyl is, too? It's Ukraine. but it's, Which is like their brother. It was a part of the Soviet Union, yeah. Yeah. That's so, shit. Yeah. Nothing. That's like every, uh, like all those... Uh, like dashboard camera things are from Russia because they have like no auto insurance. Are there so much auto insurance fraud? 
Oh, really? Like, have you ever seen those, like, cameras, like, mounted on, and it's just, like, super Russian looking? Yeah. They, it's like, people will wreck into each other just to get insurance money. Huh. So they, people, like, have to install their own cameras. To make sure that so they can, their like, story can be told. Yep. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah, uh, Russia's not a good place to be. I've never heard good things about it, except for their hockey team. Yeah. Well, if you want to know more, like, there is a website called dyatlovpass.com. Very original mm-hmm. on the name. This website is massive. Yeah, it's wild. Massive, massive. It's got diagrams. It's got pictures. It's got, I mean, copies of their diaries on there that you can look up. If you are interested in this topic, go and look through that. It's going to take you hours. Yeah, it's pretty amazing, really. It is. All the stuff that they've compiled. Um, So I use that website a lot, Wikipedia and BuzzQ, uh, to gather the information. So what what do you think happened to these folks? Uh, these Yuris and Yudins and Igors and the more I think about it, the more I think I don't know. Maybe it was like a mixture of the stove and a fight. Because maybe like somebody didn't handle the stove properly. Yeah. And then they all had to leave the tent because of that, and then they got in a fight, and then the two walked off. Yeah. And then the other ones, because it the the only thing that doesn't make sense at all is the clothes, but. There's that phenomenon where whenever you get so cold, your body thinks it's hot. Yeah, we didn't talk about that in here, no. did we? But yeah, that that is that's a good point. Yeah. I, why don't you look that up while I tell them what I think? Okay. I think it's the stove and maybe shrooms because yeah, that, too. that makes sense with their irrationalness, and it doesn't make any sense what they were doing, and then. It, how fast hypothermia sets in before they came out of that high, they were dead. Yeah. So I just found this. It's called paradoxical undressing, Mm. which it says is a term for a phenomenon frequently seen in cases of lethal lethal hypothermia. Shortly before death, a person will remove all their clothes as if they were burning up when they're in fact freezing. Yeah. So it's kind of your mind tricks you into thinking you're hot. Well, have you ever grabbed onto like a hot pan? Yeah, and it takes your brain like a second to... Yeah, and mm-hmm. you feel like it's... Because either if it's really super duper screaming hot or it's screaming cold, it still hurts either way. Yeah. So. It's weird too, like how dry ice will like burn you. Yeah. And it's the same thing like too whenever you're super cold and you get like itchy. Mm-hmm. It's because all your blood is rushing to your skin yeah. to try to heat it up. So it's like that might happen whenever you're... I've never been in hypothermia, obviously, but... I'm sure your blood's, like, freaking out trying to heat you up. Yeah. Because, well, whenever you're in hypothermia, your all your blood goes to your heart to try to protect the heart. Mm-hmm. instead. Of, so your limbs kind of just fall by the wayside. They're yeah. not important at that point. That's why it's always on your toes and stuff. Mm-hmm. You get frostbite. Yeah, all your extremities are... I don't know. I couldn't imagine. No, that's, that's, that would be a terrible way to go. And... How great, like nowadays we have cell phones and stuff that can triangulate your position, but not going months and months, not knowing where your family is. Yeah. That's terrible. Mm-hmm. So. That's just interesting, I think. Interesting yeah. thing to think about and just to know about. Yeah. It's very, very interesting mm-hmm. and uh, sad for these, because po- they were all young. Yeah. College young students kids. mostly. Yeah. Yep. But uh, I think on the mountain they've got a – they're buried in the cemetery and have the stuff there. But there's also a monument on the mm. mountain to commemorate these 
kids. So mm. that's, that's The other good. thing that doesn't make sense is the radiation. I forgot about that until. Yeah, I. Unless it's just some places don't. Some places, just the earth is, like, naturally radiated. Yeah. So unless that's just a, something there. But it could be the KGB. That's a, There's a lot of possibilities. It's hard to... They're shysty. Yeah. Two over there. Well, that's just... Especially after watching, like, the Chernobyl thing, they cover everything up. Uh-huh. Like, it's... If they mess up, they're not going to own up to it. Right. Well, they probably didn't assume that... There would be a lot of reasons as to why they died of hypothermia. There's a lot of cover-up possibilities Mm -hmm. with something like this to get away with it. The only thing about that is I think if they did it, they would just have not... I don't think they would have went to the trouble to put the bodies back. I think they would have just said they disappeared. Yeah. That's one thing that's kind of weird about that, but... That's true. There could have been some definite, like, foul play, though. Mm Mm-hmm. So what do you guys think? Yeah, let us know. Which one of these theories do you think is, makes the most sense? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of them. I don't know. I think as far as the, the people that had their eyes torn out and stuff, it all happened post-mortem, so I'm sure it was just animals. Even if it yeah. was a wolverine, it wasn't while she was alive. No, they say, yeah, I was reading about some of that stuff, and it says that's like the number one thing after someone passes away, the animals go for your soft tissue. Yep. Which is kind of gross to think about. Like your cheeks and your tongue and your eyes are all... Your booty. Yeah. Well, that's not... Yeah, it is. Just... (laughs) 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 Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Oh, man. But, yeah. So that kind of explains that. It is kind of weird whenever you first read it that they found them with no, like, eyes or... Well, just Um, because the whole thing is very weird. Yeah. So, but the more you read into it, it's like that's that kind of happens a lot with anybody that's left out in the nature. That's like animals. You see, they they get other animals will eat them. So Mm -hmm. it's just like the circle of life type thing. Yeah, especially in an environment like that where I'm sure it's hard to find stuff. Mm -hmm. Which is another thing. Okay, so they ate her eyes and stuff. What about this ham? That was left. Wouldn't you think they'd get that up, too? That is weird. But it probably... I just discovered another conspiracy. But it got buried, I bet, pretty quick. Yeah. In the snow. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Okay. Well, what else you got? Anything? I don't think so. Just, yeah, let us know what you guys think. And, uh, yeah, we're interested to see. It's very, there's a lot of different ways you can take this. Check out that website. Like I said, it's amazing. Yeah, it's pretty wild. If it, you can dive as far deep into it as you want to. Mm-hmm. Um, and let us know what you guys think. Send us an email, mysteryhistorypod at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Look at our store, Patreon. Go check out Dead Academy Podcast and Hook CMEC. Yeah. Thanks again to Matt Penny for our awesome music. Mm-hmm. And if you guys are listening on uh, iTunes or Spotify or wherever you listen, just make, make sure to subscribe to us because then you'll get updated whenever we our episode comes out. And give us so, five stars. Yeah. Leave us rates, reviews, all that good stuff. Yeah. I'd like some more comments. Yeah. We got a lot of reviews, which is nice. But yeah, we can't see who does it unless it's you actually write a review out yeah so that's the only bummer make sure it's nice my heart can't handle it if it's mean (laughs) so all right well we will see y'all next monday have a good week see y'all